I'm going to start in Titus 2, and then we'll go back to Titus 1. I want to, uh, I want to do a quick review, because I know I, not being here last week, and we just started a couple weeks ago, I wanted to sort of remind all of us of sort of giving a general introduction to the book. Um, but before I do, I, I want to share this with you, just as again, as a, as a praise to God, um, God, as, as Nicole was even praying, really does lavish his love upon us. And sometimes God gives us unexpected gifts in our life. And um, while I was on vacation, I had the opportunity to basically have a reunion with two of my cousins that really are more like sisters to me than cousins. We sort of grew up together and we're very close, but we hadn't seen each other for 21 years. And uh, it was just an awesome, awesome reunion to get to spend a couple days with my cousins, Gina and Carla, and uh, just really love them and appreciate them. And we just sort of made a commitment to one another. We wouldn't let it go another 21 years before we saw each other again. Uh, So that was just really special. But we missed you all. We did have a, a very restful time in South Carolina. Uh, but the, the wonderful church that uh, Lisa's parents and, and sister and brother-in-law and niece and nephew go to, just as good as it is, it just can't hold a candle to you guys. So I, I really missed, missed you guys last week and look forward to coming back this week. Again, don't forget a reminder that this Sunday is our seventh anniversary, as well as our potluck. I think Steve and Debbie told me that they're having just hamburgers and hot dogs, a good old-fashioned barbecue. So uh, just bring a big side of something or dessert to just share with everybody in the church. And I'm sure we'll have more than enough food and have a, a great, great time. And I'm really hoping that some of these new folks that are coming will uh, take advantage of something like this so that we can get to know them. In fact, I'm going to encourage them Saturday night uh, that many of them at the Meet the Pastor thing will will uh, come and be a part of the, uh, be a part of the potluck. Um, so I want to start in chapter 2 because it's in chapter 2 and a few phrases out of that chapter that really communicates to us the theme of this entire letter from Paul to Titus. It is the hub, if you will, of the wheel that all the spokes go out of. And we talked about this a couple weeks ago, but I want to bring it to your attention again tonight. As as Titus is being instructed uh, by Paul in chapter 2, and he's told, listen, tell the older men these things in your church, and the younger men these things, and the older women these things, and the younger men these things, and the slaves these things. Then he ends up in chapter 10 by saying this. In order, the very end of verse 10, chapter 2, verse 10. In order to bring credit to the teaching of God our Savior in everything. In another translation, I love what that says. It says to adorn the doctrine of God in everything. What Paul is saying is to wear the word of God well. We're told in another place in the Bible, Romans 13, 14, to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, here in Titus, Paul is reminding us that we are to put on the Word of God every day. 
And that as we put it on and adorn ourselves and clothe ourselves with the Word of God, it is to be appealing to others. It is to be attractive to others. That's what the word credit means, to bring credit to it. It is to live in such a way that we are compelling to other people. That we draw them, not to us, but to the teaching or message or Word of God. And then obviously the God behind the message, the God behind His Word. So that's what this whole letter is about. It's about teaching Christians to wear the Word of God well. To be appealing, attractive, and compelling by the way that we wear the Word of God. And notice in verse 10, he says, in everything. There is no such thing in the Bible as compartmentalizing our lives. Like, well, this is my spiritual life, and then over here there's this. No. All of the Word of God... And all of our life of God should affect every last part of our life. And that in every part of our life, we should be wearing the Word of God in that part of our life in a way that is appealing, attractive, and compelling to others. Now, to show you the opposite of that, if you go back to verse 5 of chapter 2, even though in the context he's talking here specifically to younger women, The the principle applies again to everyone in the church. He says, I want you to do these things, the very end of verse 5, chapter 2, so that the message of God, again, the Word of God, may not be discredited. In verse 10, he says, I want you to live in such a way, wearing the Word of God, that you bring credit to the Word of God. Here he's saying, if you don't do these things, you're going to discredit the message. You're going to diminish it. You're going to devalue it, if you will. You're going to make it less than it needs to be and should be in the eyes of people. And that's something that, again, we as Christians are called to do. So that's what the whole letter is about. It's about, first of all, putting on the Word of God. Well, obviously, before I can put on the Word of God, I've got to be in an environment where the Word of God truly becomes a part of me every day. And then I've got to put it on. I can't just assent to it up here in my head. I've got to put the Word of God on, and I've got to wear it in such a way that it's attractive and appealing. Again, think of the Word of God as a piece of clothing that you and I are putting on. And we're adding to our beautiful spiritual clothing, hopefully, every day. And we are living in a way that is compelling. Not in a way that will diminish or devalue or detract from the Word of God and the message of God in any way. So last week, when we started then studying chapter 1, we saw a couple of things, again, that I want to go over. First of all, Paul started by sharing with Titus his purpose. Paul communicated or expressed his purpose to Titus. And we were talking there about the fact of how important it is that you and I know what our purpose is. Paul knew what his purpose was every day, and that's what basically fueled his life. He knew why he was here every day and what he was to accomplish every day. So many Christians do not know what their purpose is. And Paul not only knew what his purpose was, but he gave himself to that purpose wholly. Uh, He gave himself, you know, completely to that purpose. He held nothing back. What was that purpose? 
Notice he says in chapter 1, verse 1, I am a slave of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Here it is. To further, first of all, the faith of God's chosen ones. Paul lived to stretch the faith of believers, to get them to trust God more, to get them to place their confidence in God, maybe in areas where they had never placed it before. To further the faith of God's chosen ones. Then he said, I'm also here to further the knowledge of, of the truth in God's chosen ones. But notice again, he adds, in keeping with godliness. In other words, it's not just instructing people and getting them more information biblically. It's helping them become more like Jesus Christ. It's, it's to connect the knowledge with godliness. My behavior has to be affected by the addition of this knowledge that I'm getting. I can't just be adding knowledge to my life. I've always got to be adding godliness to my life. It's got to be making a difference in the way I live my life. And that was Paul's purpose. And then finally, he says, I am living every day to further the hope of God's people. Verse 2, in hope of eternal life. And so we talked about that the very first week, a couple of weeks ago. That was Paul's purpose. Then we came to verses 3 and 4. And we saw, especially in verse 4, Paul's pronouncement expressed to Titus. And here, Paul is saying, Look, Titus, you are my genuine son in a common faith, grace and peace from God our Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. And what he's expressing there to Titus is, All that you will need, Titus, all that you will need, you can draw from God. God is your resource. You will not get what you need in ministry and service and life and all of that, uh, from anything else but God. Draw your strength from God. Draw your grace from God. Draw your peace from God. Draw everything you need from God. He is your all in all. And then, Paul shared the priority with Titus. So, if you're outlining the first couple verses, Paul's purpose is expressed to Titus. In verses 3 and 4, Paul's pronouncement is expressed to Titus. And then in verse 5 and on down through verse 9, Paul's priority is expressed to Titus. And what is the priority? It is to choose spiritual leaders, a team of leaders, not just one leader, a team of ministry leaders in every church. He says, the reason I left you in Crete was to set in order, to fill in the gaps of leadership with the remaining matters and to appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Notice that spiritual leaders are not to be elected. I grew up in a church where spiritual leaders were elected. No, they are to be appointed by other spiritual leaders. Okay? And notice it's plural, elders, spiritual leaders. We are to have a team of leaders in every church. Now notice something very interesting here too that we could pass by, but I'm not going to. Because I think it's important. These churches in Crete, on the Isle of Crete, had existed for a while. Now Titus is to go back and sort of begin to build leadership into each of these churches. The other thing I want to point out is that First and Second Timothy and Titus, these three letters that we've just studied through on Wednesday nights, were the very last letters that Paul ever wrote. Now, I don't know about you, but to me it's very interesting that these aren't the first letters that Paul wrote. 
Because so often when we think about local churches, we think about, well, you know, we've got to, we've got to first of all have order and we've got to have organization. And that's what we need to focus on first. You'll notice in the Bible, that's not the way the early church nor God designed it to be, even as he rolled out his instruction for the church. First of all, there are all these other letters, especially from the Apostle Paul on doctrine. And we're going to get to that in a moment. On again, knowing who God is and who we are in God. That was the first priority. Then, after people started to know God and know who they were in God, then the order and the organization of the local church could start to form, if you will. Again, we have it backwards many times in our churches today. We try to make ourselves very orderly and organized in all these areas, but we don't focus on the doctrine first, on getting people to know who God is and who they are in God. But that's the way the early church did it. Again, these churches had existed on the Isle of Crete for several years. And I think another reason for that is notice why. The Bible tells us don't choose leaders quickly. So these churches were established, they were growing, whatever. And as people then within each of those churches began to prove themselves, prove their faithfulness, showed who they really were over time, in a sense, then they rose to those leadership positions and then were appointed by other spiritual leaders. Now, Tonight, I want us to focus primarily on verses 5 through 9. And I want us to see, and we talk about this priority of biblical leadership. First of all, what are the reasons for spiritual leadership? I want to give you three tonight. Spiritual leaders are important in every local church for three things. Discipleship, direction, and doctrine. Let me repeat that. Spiritual leaders are established and appointed in every church for three things. Discipleship, direction, and doctrine. First of all, let me talk about discipleship. And we're going to get more into this in chapter 2 when we talk about, you know, older men teaching the younger men, older women teaching the younger men. But here's what spiritual leaders are for. They are to be discipling others in the church. They are to be setting the, the standard, if you will, and the example and the model for what discipleship is. That's what spiritual leaders are to be doing. We are to be just like Paul had a Timothy and has a Titus. Spiritual leaders are to have other people in their lives that they are investing and pouring themselves into. That's what we're for. If we're not pouring ourselves in and investing ourselves in others in some way, then we're, I think, missing out on our responsibility as leaders in the church. Now, obviously, every Christian is to be discipling somebody, as every Christian is to be being discipled by someone. Okay? Again, that's the way it is. Every, every Christian should have a Paul in their life. They should have a Barnabas in their life, a spiritual equal. And they should have some Timothy in their life, somebody that they're discipling and pouring themselves into. That creates a well-balanced Christian life. Too often Christians are pouring their lives out in life and ministry, say to Timothy's in their life, but they don't have a Paul that's pouring into them. And then we wonder why we have burnout and why we have 
uh, so many servants of God who are discouraged and, and lacking, you know, the energy and the strength, whatever. It's because they're pouring out, but not getting poured into. Okay? All of us need to be in some way involved in discipleship. And the local church is the place that God designed for that to take place. You see. And so, biblical leaders are there for discipleship. Biblical leaders are also important for direction. And and the word why I'm using that is not just for alliteration, but it's the idea of being an example. So we are directing people to a model, to an example of what a spiritual, godly person who's following Jesus Christ faithfully, what does that look like? That's what we're to be as leaders. We are to be examples and models for others. I mean, Paul talks about follow me as I follow Christ. uh, Talks about examples all the time. And you see this here in Titus chapter 1. And notice something very interesting here. That it's not just being an example or directing people in the right way towards things in the church. No. Notice what he says. It actually starts in the home. Because how can you have a church that's in the right place with God if you don't have homes represented in that local church that's in the right place with God? And let's not forget that this was in a culture that, just like our own, was very immoral, very ungodly. The Isle of Crete was filled with people that didn't care about God, didn't care about spiritual things. Because notice even what he says in chapter 1, verse 12. Even one of their own prophets say, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. Not a very attractive place to be ministering, right? Not a place where everybody's like, oh, you know, I want to know more about God, and I want to give my life to God. No. But that's why it needs to start in the home. So back to chapter 1, verse 5. Let's read a few of these verses together. The reason I left you in Crete was to set in order, to fill in the gaps of leadership in remaining matters, and to appoint elders in every town as I directed you. An elder must be blameless, the husband of one wife, with faithful children who cannot be charged with dissipation or rebellion. For the overseer must be blameless as one entrusted with God's work, not arrogant, not prone to anger, not a drunkard, not violent, nor greedy for gain. Instead, he must be hospitable, devoted to what is good, sensible, upright, devout, and self-controlled. Notice a couple things about that list. First of all, spiritual leaders don't have to be perfect, but we need to be consistent. And we need to be growing. And we need to make sure that the impact that God is making on us not only affects us professionally, if you will, in the workplace, but actually starts in the homeland, in the house, in the home. That's where it's got to make its impact. Because notice, Paul is reminding Titus, as he reminds Timothy, if one can't lead their own home, if one can't exhibit leadership in the home as a husband, as a wife, as an overseer of the home, then how can one oversee a bigger responsibility in the church? You see, that's where it's got to start. It's got to start in our homes God has got to show up in our homes. God has got to be a priority in our homes. Then that will spill over when we all come together in the church, in the local church, to the church. 
The problem is, many times, in even Christian homes, God is not the priority. God is not the focus. And therefore, the children aren't focused on God. The wife's not focused on God. The husband's not focused on God. They're focused on all kinds of other things. No, he says, no. No, we've got to keep that always in mind as well. That's where it starts, and then it branches out from there. It's the old principle that God, if we're faithful in a few things, then God will give us more to be responsible over. But it starts there. Then you'll notice in that list that as he moves beyond the home, then he just basically talks about character. He says, we need to be leaders of character. Setting the example, why? Not because leaders alone are to be this way, but everybody in the church is to be this way. Every home in the church is to be this way. But it's got to start with leaders. It's not like God expects the leaders to be this way, and then everybody who's not so-called a leader or have a position of leader is not supposed to be this way. No, just the opposite. Again, discipleship. Pressing the flesh with one another. Impacting and influencing one another. If the leaders are this way, then so will the people be this way. I firmly believe this. That no local church, no group of, or community of believers will rise above its leadership. Did you hear what I said? No community of believers, no group of believers will rise above its leadership. That's why it is important important for us as leaders to make sure that we are always growing and setting the lead because we're expecting others to follow us and if we stay here or if we go backwards how can we expect those around us that we are leading or who are looking to us to be going forwards and going upwards if we're not that's why it grieves me as a pastor when I look at pastors who have forsaken their responsibility to be in the Word themselves first so that they can continue to grow, then the byproduct of their personal time with God in His Word and fellowshipping with God is then to have all of this rich resource to be able to teach God's people the Word of God. But when pastors get caught up in other things but their own personal spiritual growth, it's not only them that suffers, it's the whole church that suffers. Because then they can't bring to their brothers and sisters in Christ the riches of God's Word because they're not in the Word of God personally growing every day. Sorry, this... So, Paul expressed his purpose to Titus. Every day I wake up, I want to further the faith of God's chosen. I want to further their knowledge. I want to further their hope. T Titus, this is the pronouncement. I'm blessed. I want to give you a blessing. And the blessing is that everything that you'll need, you can draw from God. He's everything you'll ever need. He's all sufficient. And now I want to give you a priority, Titus. Here's the priority now. I left you in Crete. Because the churches that are on Crete now need spiritual leaders. And they need them for three things. Discipleship, direction, and then here's the final one. Doctrine. Doctrine. Notice verse 9. 
He must hold firmly to the faithful message as it has been taught so that he will be able to give exhortation in such healthy teaching. Teaching that makes us spiritually healthy and whole and fit and correct those who speak against it. In other words, it is the responsibility of all spiritual leaders in a local church, first of all, to be able to convey truth. Again, well, then that means we've got to continue to be growing in the Word because it is our responsibility as spiritual leaders to convey truth, you see. But it's also our responsibility not only to convey truth, but to correct error. I've got to be able to know when something is not biblical and be able to correct that, you see. That is also part of being a spiritual leader, which again, behooves all of us to just continue to again go back to the theme of the letter. In order to wear the word of God well and bring credit rather than discredit the message or the word of God every day and to put it on in such a way that is appealing, attractive, and compelling to others, I got to first have a passion for that word which is what he's saying here in verse 9. I can't hold firmly to something unless I am zealous for it. And here he's reminding us that spiritual leaders not only have to assent to the truth, they have to be zealous for the truth. They have to be passionate for the truth. They've got to have a heart engaged in the truth in the Word, in the message of God. It's got to be a priority. It's got to be important to them, you see. Now, I say all of this for the reason for spiritual leadership. But as you and I go back through all of this, then obviously we see, wow, if that's the reason for spiritual leadership in a local church, then that also brings us to this point, the responsibility of spiritual leadership. And spiritual leadership is a great privilege. But like any privilege, it carries a great responsibility. Which is why, which is why one of the best things you can do for your leaders, one of the most important things you can do for your leaders, one of the most beneficial things you can do for your leaders is to pray for them. Pray for them. Can I tell you? I appreciate knowing you pray for me. I appreciate that. But I'm not the only leader here. And so, it's easy for us to sit back and question our leaders be critical of our leaders. But I've gotten to a place in my life where if I hear someone especially being critical of another leader, I ask them just a very simple but pointed question. Are you spending as much time praying for them as you are criticizing them? Are you spending as much time praying for them as you are trying to pick apart some of the things that they do? Because it's easy for all of us 
to sit back and be critical of others. But how much time are we truly spending on our knees praying for those preachers? And here's why. Because it's, it's not easy. There's a lot expected. And not only that, but we have seen in other places in the New Testament especially, that spiritual leaders especially have targets on their chest. They are, they are especially targets of the spiritual enemy. Because again, how can the spiritual adversary get to the whole community in an in a easier way by not attacking all of them, but by attacking the leaders. He can get to everybody by attacking the leaders. And so we as leaders, we face a little bit more usually spiritual warfare and spiritual attack than, than those that aren't on the front lines of ministry. Simply because we're following the call of God. And please, don't misunderstand what I'm saying here tonight. In no way am I bemoaning the fact of of being a spiritual leader. There's nothing I would rather do. In fact, I, I can repeat what Paul said. Woe is me if I don't do what I do. I... I know that's why God made me. I know that's why He created me. I know that's why He gave me the gifts that He did. I, I know that that's my calling in life. And there would be nothing else that I could do with my life that would be as fulfilling or satisfying than following the will of God. But, with all of that said, and there's nothing that brings me more joy than doing that as well. But the flip side of that is, it's a great responsibility. And it carries with it its own sort of cross, if you will, as Jesus said We all have a cross to carry and to bear. And so that's why I need your prayers and I appreciate your prayers. Biblical spiritual leadership in our churches, just as it was 2,000 years ago on the Isle of Crete, is critical. A local church will never rise above its leadership. Everything rises and falls with leadership. And we as local churches before Christ are called to build not only disciples, but ultimately to be building leaders. And not just leaders for this generation, but leaders for the next generation. Which why ministries of of Pastor Chad and his youth team and Crystal and her team that works with the children are so important because it's not just about us, it's about the following generations that will come after us. And we need to be praying for our leaders because of that responsibility. 